Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. He doesn't want to see the government shut down, which is why he has actually put forward a proposal. Uh, the big question is uh, for the Democrats, how long are they going to continue to do nothing to actually fix the problem? This is the fourth time the president has made an offer. The Democrats have not given an offer yet of what they're even for. That's becoming a real damage to Americans throughout this country. People are kidding themselves if they think the BuzzFeed story is going to be 100% wrong. I think that Michael Cohen is going to Congress to incriminate the president. That doesn't mean that it's true. Fusion GPS, once again, was a Clinton campaign paid for operations out there. Mm -hmm. So they were clearly involved in the setup of, of the Trump Tower meeting. So Fusion GPS and the Clinton campaign are all over it, probably behind it. We're desperate to get Trump out of office. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. They're desperate to get Trump out of office. I thought it was kind of fantastic, phantasmagorical, wonderful, uh, awesome. It was kind of peachy to see her make that admission. So I want to run through a couple things. First of all, on the show today, we're going to have Mark Lauder. Uh, he's an RNC spokesperson, and he joins the program to talk to us about the State of the Union kerfluffle and what we're going to do about that, what the president is going to do, um, what can be the response now that Nancy Pelosi has actually let us know where she stands. Um, I'm going to put these slides up one more time. These are uh, obviously, they're on during the show. You can find them at politico.com. These slides are fantastic. You can take images of them, screen caps of them, use your phone, use your uh, your laptop to do that and share them on online social media. Here they are. We've gone through them and we probably will again, but here they are again. I just want to make sure that people see them at the top of the show. Um, these slides are straight from the Department of Homeland Security and they share all of the information that the Democrats have been avoiding in the briefings. It's kind of fascinating to see just these, it's, it's like five or six slides, okay? So it's not a lot of, uh, it's not lengthy. It's not something that would have ran against their schedules. They refuse to participate because the information doesn't support their position, which is open borders. And it's interesting to see a lot of Democrats coming forward and saying, well, we're not actually all opposed to physical barriers. And we actually do want to see the government opened up. And, uh, you know, so what news isn't telling you is that the Republicans tried to fund the employees, the 800,000 employees who are currently going without paychecks. They tried to fund them, and that bill did not pass the House because only six Democrats voted for it. So these are just a couple of quick, you know, like, like you know, you want to clean things up so we're all dealing on the same page. That's the truth of the matter. The Republicans want people to be paid, but they want the border to be secured. Uh, so we're going to have a, a fantastic time talking to Mark Lauder this hour. We're going to talk about the Democrats through their one of their spokespersons. One of the chief spokespersons of Democrats in America is Joy Behar. She expresses the hardcore leftist aspect perfectly. She runs straight from their playbook and they from hers. They're on the same team. And often she says things on the show that garner lots of applause. And this this line that she shared was no different. But I was surprised by the candor and even Whoopi Goldberg, who normally I mean, she rolls her eyes at Joy Behar a lot on the program, but she normally is pretty much lockstep with Joy Behar. Joy, Joy Behar made the statement, and, and Whoopi Goldberg kind of had to sit back for a second, like, wait, uh, I thought we were talking about these boys. And In other words, Trump derangement syndrome com coming up next segment, not this segment. We're trying to make a mea culpa. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit, and we'll talk about how now Nancy Pelosi owns the shutdown. 
And so the poll numbers might not reflect that because so many Americans watch CNN and MSNBC and mainstream news outlets for their news. But the fact is, it's owned by the person who refuses to negotiate. It's owned by the person who is intractable in their position and will not move. The president has made an offer. He's he's actually made two offers. And either one of those could be responded to in such a way that would make it possible for a deal to be struck. A deal where everybody feels some pain, no one's completely satisfied, but the border is sealed and the government is reopened. And dreamers are still with us since they're still here anyway. It's not like they're being deported in huge numbers. Some of them are being deported because they're they're actually committing crimes and violating the uh, the, the spirit of the order under which they're still here. And the rest of them are still receiving government benefits. They're still sucking our, our welfare system dry. They're still attending our colleges and universities as in-state students, while actual Americans who could definitely benefit from the reduced tuition are paying out-of-state tuition. They're still they're operating above the level of any regular American citizen. And if that doesn't take you off, hold on, I got more for you. So uh, I want to get into our daily confession today. It's Ezekiel 1620, and you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? Now, you're probably thinking, whoa, that, that kind of turned a little bit. What, where, where are you reading from? Well, that's Ezekiel 16, 20 through 21, and it has to do with child sacrifice. In those days, there was child sacrifice going on and people thought that by sacrificing children, they could, you know, the same thing we think about prayer that we know to be true. They thought about idol worship and child sacrifice and it was a ritualistic endeavor and it was something that was practiced as a religion. And so you're might be thinking, okay, what's that got to do with like right now? Well, you may have seen in the news that New York state uh, passed a bill through their legislature, through their state legislature making it possible for any woman who is pregnant in the state of New York to have an abortion up and through the ninth month of pregnancy. So you can be full term with a baby that is not only viable outside of the womb, but that you could be about to deliver and they will still abort it for you in the state of New York. No restrictions. And so I got to thinking about that you know, why would they do that? Well, a, a few things have caused Democrats to kind of go back to the, the they're, they're at the altar and they're pouring out everything they've got onto the, you know, the, the baby sacrifice God. It's because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, while she's still perfectly fine, she's, she's, she's doing, you know, she's actually ruling on cases and, and uh, adding her opinions from home, working from home. The handwriting is on the wall. She can't live forever. And when she does go on into the afterlife, there will be a conservative judge appointed in her place. And no amount of shenanigans by the Democrats will prevent that from happening. Now, they've already discussed how when they're next in the presidential role, they'll pack the court and we'll have 28 Supreme Court justices instead of, you know, uh, instead of nine. And they'll, you know, they'll have, there'll be so many of them that the the conservatives will only have six or seven and, and all the rest will be liberals. And there really isn't anything in the Constitution that prevents them from doing that. But until then, they have to be able to ensure that, uh, you know, they can have abortion on demand and that if the Supreme Court rules against it and it's remanded back to the states, because they know it just as well as we do, it goes back to the states, then individual states will be able to engage in whatever mayhem they want. And they've just given us a preview of what that looks like. Abortion up until the ninth month. 
But I want you to hear the reaction to passing this bill, because remember, abortion was supposed to be safe, legal and rare. Abortion is supposed to be safe, legal and rare. That's what the Democrats have told us since 1973 when they passed Roe v. Wade. They've said all along the only reason to make abortion legal in this country is to stop back alley coat hanger abortions. And so it has to be lawful. It has to be legal. It has to be constitutional. It has to be something that any woman can get anywhere. But safe, legal and rare. Well, they've gone completely to the other side of the universe on that one. And now this is what it sounds like when they pass this bill through the legislature. Of course, all the Republicans voted against it. This is the sound of them celebrating the fact that it is now lawful for any person to do an abortion on any other person, regardless of whether or not the person doing the abortion is a doctor, and that you can have an abortion, you can just change your mind. Your due date is Monday of next week. You can change your mind on Sunday, and your next-door neighbor can give you an abortion, and there's nothing anybody can do about it because it's lawful in the state of New York. As long as you're in the state of New York, that whole shenanigans, it doesn't have to be safe. It doesn't have to be rare. It could be up until the ninth month. Just do what you want. Here they are celebrating the passage of that law. It's number five. So they're standing around in the New York legislature and the cameras are panning around the, the space and there's, they have a beautiful building. That's one of the things that's, it's really interesting as an aside, I know it's a serious topic, but as an aside, if you ever want to take uh, kind of an, off the beaten path tour, you can tour the different capitals of the different states of all of these, you know, 50 United States. Most of them were designed by one or two, I think there's like three primary architects, and they're all done in a certain architectural style, and they're all located in the, sta- in the part of the state that it, it all has meaning. It's all very meaningful. And so if you visit your, your state capital and you notice the, the beauty of the building and how they all have these domed roofs and all of that, um, they have these all over the country. Every state has one, and they're all unique in their architectural style and beauty. Uh, that being said, they're in a beautiful space. They're in a lovely venue. They're in the, the, the halls of their legislature. This is the place where they make law and they enshrine the intent of the people of the, the state of New York into actual law. They codify what they feel right and wrong is into law in that hall. And they just are celebrating and whooping and hollering and clapping because to them, it's less about abortion and whether or not women are dying or being rushed to the hospital or are made barren after an abortion, losing the ability to ever have a child again. No, no, no. It's about sticking their fingers up in the face of who they see to be some kind of oppressor, which is people on the right who are just saying, this is not a constitutional right. There's no way we eliminate in our society people going out and having a doctor who will do it for them, paying that doctor or coercing that doctor into giving them an abortion. There's no way it ever stops completely. But you might be thinking to yourself, well, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Abortion rates are down in this country. You know, we had less than a million for the last reportable year per government statistics, the CDC and the Guttmacher Institute, all of the the orgs that actually track that stuff. But that's not actually true. Yeah, we have less abortion in this country. The pro-life movement has made huge strides. And really, technology is our friend in the in the pro-life movement because technology shows young children, this is your incoming brother or sister. It shows teenagers, look, my this is my new niece. This is my new nephew who's you know going to be born in this month. This is my younger sibling. It's 
really difficult to say that it's a younger sibling when it's a picture of an ultrasound on the kitchen door or, or, or your refrigerator, but it's a clump of cells that needs to be flushed away if it's not put up there. It's difficult to sell that. Pe most people are, are becoming acutely aware of how real human life is from the very moment it begins to grow. But you might be wondering, why is this a, such a huge concern for us if our abortion rates are going down? Even if New York State does what they do, you know, it, it's just one state. Well, New York is certainly just one state. But they also are home to two specific, like their little boroughs, where more babies are aborted than are born alive. Internationally, you might be thinking, well, you know, it's kind of rough, but okay. What is the number one cause of death on this planet? Is it genocide? Is it heart disease? Is it diabetes? Is it starvation? Because we do have nations across this, you know, where people don't even eat every day. Actually, the number one leading cause of death globally in 2018 was abortion. Statistics compiled by Worldometers tells us that 8.2 million people died of cancer, 5 million died of smoking, 1.7 million died of AIDS, HIV, 41.9 million unborn babies were killed across the planet. So the number one cause of death is abortion at 41.9 million, and then 1.7 million from AIDS, 5 million from smoking, and 8.2 million from cancer. So cancer is a huge cause of death worldwide, but it pales in comparison to abortion. And who is probably the number one exporter of abortion when it comes to paying for abortions abroad? America. So if you think we're escaping the judgment of that, if there's some way around it that God is ignoring that, that the blood of all of those innocents doesn't cry out 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether we're in church on prayer Wednesday and we're praying or whether we have our hands lifted up and we're jumping and excited to the latest contemporary Christian music song on church on Sunday, whatever we're doing, whether we're working or praying or in Bible study or taking care of our kids or cooking dinner or scrubbing toilets or mopping floors, whether we're driving to and from work, whether we're beseeching God on behalf of the unborn, whatever we're doing 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, unborn babies are being snuffed out across the globe and we're helping to pay for it as American taxpayers. And now New York City says you can do it up until the day they're born. God have mercy on us. We'll be back after this. Eighty percent of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently pre-born centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. 
Have you ever been really thirsty? Your mouth is dry and all you want is a big, tall glass of cool, refreshing water. I've been there. Every time I work out, I perspire and boy, I get thirsty. When I'm really thirsty, I don't want soft drinks or juice. I crave good old H2O. Usually after I quench my thirst, I let out a big sigh of satisfaction. But it's only temporary. No matter how good the water tasted, no matter how refreshed I feel, I know it's just temporary. I'm going to thirst again. In John chapter 4, we find the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman by a well. She'd been in and out of all kinds of relationships, and whether she knew it or not, she was spiritually thirsty. Jesus intercepted her and used the well as an object lesson. Listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus is gently saying, lady, you don't know who you're talking to. I'll satisfy your thirst. But he says, you have to choose the living water. What about you? Are you thirsty? Is there dry thirst deep within your heart, a longing to be satisfied? Here's what I want you to remember and do today. Your search has ended. There is a permanent thirst quencher. His name is Jesus. He is the living water. Give your life to Him, and you will never thirst again. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to American Family Radio. Welcome home. Thank you for being with us and for supporting everything that we do here. We are so appreciative of having your ears, excuse me, and your eyes as you watch our programming on our online streaming and I encourage you to like American Family Radio on the TuneIn app. So if you listen to us on the TuneIn app, uh, please go over and hit the like button on American Family Radio. I noticed that even though we're a huge, huge force in the radio industry, they do not have us running on their leaderboard uh, for popular channels to listen to, which means a lot of what we're sharing here, the message that could be getting shared with people who would stumble on it naturally because it would be on their leaderboard for the biggest podcast, the biggest uh, radio shows, which of which we are, um, they don't have us up there. So I don't know if you have to pay for that or if it's an advertising mechanism, but I did notice that you can hit the like button on streams that you like. And if you're listening to us in the TuneIn app, please hit that button um, to show support for what we're doing. It's free. It's quick. It's easy. If you're a TuneIn app user, if you're using some other app, then, you know, by all means, continue forward. What we really want is for you to listen and to uh, be here with us. Right now, it's my pleasure to introduce Mark Lauder. He's coming on to join us, former press secretary for Mike Pence and RNC surrogate and spokesperson. Mark, thank you for coming on today. No, thanks for having me, Stacey. Okay, so let's talk about this. We got the State of the Union, which is turning into, uh, for all intents and purposes, a, ge- a gentleman's brawl where one side smacks the other with a, a, a fancy glove and the other side smacks the ori- ori- initiator with a glove. And then there's supposed to be a duel, and it looks like that's what's about to happen because the president now has to find another venue 
I, I find it astounding that she would dare deny the president of the United States the opportunity to address Congress, that she's even able to do it, that her party would stand for it. It's, it's such a lack of decorum and it's so embarrassing for her. Um, but she's doing it. It just shows that, that for Nancy Pelosi and the radicals that are now governing the Democrat Socialist Party, it, that it, it's politics uh, over, over principle, over you know, history, uh, that they would deny uh, the, the, the president of the United States the opportunity to speak to the people from the well of the House of Representatives. And let's not, let's not kid ourselves. We have a long history of presidents from one party, speakers from another. We've had time, we have had a State of the Union in times of war, in times of trial, in times <laughs> of uh, uh, even presidential unpopularity. Uh, there have still been State of the Union addresses uh, by the president to the American people. It's, it's, it's one of those constitutionally required things, although the Constitution doesn't say how it needs to be done. So uh, I, I tweeted this as soon as the, uh, the original thing, the original delay came out back in the uh, January a couple weeks ago. I said that the president should take his message on the road and mail the speaker a copy of it, and he will have met his constitutional requirement. But the, the State of the Union is not about the, the hallowed halls and marble and, and gilded light fixtures in D.C. It's about the American people, and that's where our strength as a union actually comes from. So I think this is actually doing President Trump a huge favor, uh, which could actually set forward a new precedent uh, among American presidents of both parties of doing the uh, State of the Union out there among the people. The D.C. is definitely not representative of the people and uh, and so we'll see how, how this plays out. But I can guarantee you that the president will continue to give his state of the union when he decides it's time to talk to the people about the state of our union. So, Mark, I'm smiling so hard right now because we have great minds think alike. I tweeted out that I, I tweeted the president. I know he gets so many. He probably didn't see it. But my idea was similar to yours. I said, hey, we have a lot of really nice heated aircraft hangers in the state of Missouri, and you know how far we'll walk to meet you. We've set the record here. When he came to Columbia, people were walking. I was one of those people who walked six miles round trip because the parking was so far away from the venue because like 25,000 people showed up and not everybody could get in. And so we are like come rain, come bad weather, muddy conditions, six mile hikes, whatever. If he wants to give the State of the Union in our great state, the state of Missouri, and I immediately had people calling into the show saying, no, 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 we, we want him. We want him to come here. People were tweeting me, nope, <laughs> Wisconsin is better. We, we have better spaces. He could literally do, he could do a five-stop, whistle-stop tour where he flew around and gave the address five different times, um, and people would pack it to the rafters to hear it. He could mail Nancy Pelosi a copy. He could meet with some of the victims of illegal immigrant crime in each of those stops. I mean, I have so many wonderful ideas, which means I know the RNC and others that really actually have some, some input here probably have given him some fantastic, like, you could do this too. Don't forget you could do that. Um, I, I look forward to seeing what he's going to do, but it, in no way can he let the American people down and not give the address because Americans expect him to give a State of the Union address. And Nancy Pelosi does not represent the 64 million Americans who voted for him. And so we at least deserve no, to hear from and despite, him. Despite the fact that Nancy Pelosi thinks that she and the president are co-equal in the eyes of the Constitution, uh, they are not. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. This is the, one of the reasons why I think President Trump was elected in the first place, 
because he actually said he was going to fight for the things that the American people believe in. We've had presidents of both parties, so uh, this is nonpartisan, that have told us for decades that they would renegotiate NAFTA. They would challenge China. They would take care of the issue in North Korea. They would move the embassy in, in Israel to Jerusalem. Uh, they love to talk a big game, but when it actually came to doing something mm-hmm. that was difficult, they usually shirked from that responsibility. And this is a president who believes in fighting, and he also believes in getting the job done. Uh, so I, I know I was in the White House a couple of weeks ago talking with the president. Uh, still talk, obviously, on a regular basis with my former colleagues in the White House. Uh, this is a president who will not shirk away from a fight. And uh, whether he does it in the hall of the Senate, which he can do with a with a uh, with an invitation from Senator McConnell, That's or right. if he takes it on the road, he will deliver a State of the Union. Uh, I can almost guarantee. You know, I, I'm very confident that he'll do it on his terms, uh, when and where he decides to do it. You know, what I find so interesting about this is that it it we've often seen. I mean, it's it's almost. Uh, like clockworks with President Trump. He did this as as a civilian when he was in the business world. He would take a seemingly negative result and he would turn it into an opportunity for, uh, you know, furthering his business or expanding his brand or what have you. And we've seen him do that quite a bit with his role as the president, where things that should have derailed him completely, he just soldiered through and was able to get through them. And some of them were quite difficult, like difficult moments in the presidency thus far this past two years. And I almost feel like Nancy Pelosi is giving him a gift by refusing to allow him to do the traditional venue Because in the traditional venue, as she did last year, she had a lemon in the side of her mouth and she sucked her cheeks and she made faces and she refused to uh, kind of stand up and honor the parts of the speech that were bipartisan. And in doing so, she really ginned up the Democrats base. The people on Twitter were so excited by her, you know, kind of shenanigans in her chair and and the, the imagery. We're colorful. They're all wearing black, all that drama. Now she loses that platform. And if he gives the speech from somewhere else, she loses the ability to coordinate the response. She can give one, but it's not going to be as seamless as it would have been had she done the traditional State of the Union. Now the ball is in President Trump's court to create a spectacle of his own making on his own terms. I just can't see why she would agree to give him this. It's like a gift, a bouquet of flowers and a gift card. Well, never underestimate the power of Democrats to overplay their hand. And, and I think even let's, – let's get this out of the straight partisanship. I think a lot of the American people, including folks who may be more middle of the road or maybe even slightly left of center, uh, will look at this and see it for what it is, and, and it won't leave a good taste in their mouth. And then when you pile on the other things, the fact that – the president made a good faith offer to reopen the government last week and haven't even gotten a counterproposal. It was just no and nothing else. No, here's our offer. Here's what we would like. Will you talk to us and meet us? Just the answer is no. It's resistance. And I think a lot of people, I'm from Indiana, so I'm a Midwest person as well. Even folks who might be just slightly left of center or in the middle look at these kinds of things and they just go, that's not the way we want things to be. That's not how we want our government to operate. And and if the Democrats want to be taken over by the radical socialists and governed by the people on the coast, that's one thing. But they're going to alienate the people in the middle. And I think stunts like this will do exactly that. 
You know, Mark, you're, the point you're making really resonates because I'm, I, I often will hear, um, and it's so funny how you, I'm sure this happens to you too, you'll be somewhere and, you know, maybe there's news on and you'll see people rolling their eyes, you know, and, and usually it's CNN, but uh, sometimes it's just main, like local news and it'll be on and people will be rolling their eyes and they'll say, you know, I don't know why we send these people there, you know, to, to Washington, D.C., they don't seem to be able to represent anyone. And then the, usually the first thing that happens is someone will just self-announce, well, I don't really like either of the parties. And then you'll see people nodding their heads. And then usually I, I have to out myself. I'll say, well, I'm definitely on the right, but I just don't understand why they can't work together or they, they seem to have forgotten why we sent them there. So there is a, a sense among regular people who are shopping at grocery stores and pumping gas and waiting at the Jiffy Lube to get their oil changed that there's something really broken about the process and there's a lack of respect. I just, I, I have my question for you, Mark, is what would have happened if, um, who was the speaker when it was, uh, when the Republicans were in charge of the House and Barack Obama was president? Who was our speaker? Was it Paul Ryan? Uh, in the beginning, it was John Boehner, and then it oh. became uh, Speaker Ryan. Okay, so can you see John the Boehner? Both, the both. Yeah, John Boehner says to President Obama, you can't come. I know we invited you, but you can't come in here and give your address. What would have been the first thing that CNN, MSNBC, and every Democrat would have said about that situation? Well, they would have, uh, of course, you know, they, that this would have been a break with constitutional norm. It would have been disrespectful to the presidency. Many would have obviously gone down and called them racist. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and we know that. And, and that's and there's a completely d- double standard. You know, when, uh, you know, when Republicans, uh, you know, are the ones in power uh, to the stunts and, and this is this is what this is. This is a stunt. So we will see. I, I am positive that the, uh, you know, the president is going to rise above it. I hope that more people tune in to watch it, to see exactly what he says and, and take notice. If I was still in the White House, I would say there should be 280 some, whatever the number is chairs for every democrat lawmaker senator and house member mm-hmm. they should have their name on it they should be invited and let's see how many empty chairs are in that section and put it right up front so the american people can see that they don't even not only do they want them to not have the speech in the house they don't want to hear what the president of the united states has to say regardless of where it is held and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out but I have no doubt that uh, that President Trump's going to come out as the victor uh, and looking better amongst regular people, not the Washington insiders, the people on the Acela corridor, uh, the people who are actually out there and don't live, breathe politics every breath and every moment like those of us in the industry do. You're right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll just add, you know, um, if you have anyone that you can email and suggestions We've had callers to the show say that what would really be impactful is to have a big, huge, you know, 60 inch screen behind him and just have a slideshow presentation of every American that has lost their life to illegal alien crime when he does address the border issue and the empty chairs, the slideshow of those Americans, um, because they span the spectrum socioeconomically for ethnic background, location in the country, you know, everything. These are just regular Americans randomly killed by illegal alien crime, and it's something that he's going to touch on. I I think you're you're absolutely right. The empty chairs would be fantastic, and I can't wait to see what he does, Mark. I'm I'm excited. I, I... Part of me is really depressed that this is where we are, but I know he'll turn this into something great that will be very memorable. And you said it could be 
precedent setting. Like we could have other presidents decide to go out into the heartland and, and address the nation. Uh, I think it could be. There's no requirement in the Constitution that says that it's done in, in Capitol Hill or in the House or even in Washington, D.C. It doesn't even say that they have to do it every year. Uh, the Constitution basically just says from time to time the president shall in, uh, inform Congress on the State of the Union. And so there, there is some ambiguity there, but nothing like something like this, which sets, can set a new precedent, that maybe next year he's going to say, I'm going to do that again, or let's do this somewhere else. Or, you know, it could become the Super Bowl of politics where cities and venues are all bidding to see if they can get the president to do the State of the Union in their place, like a lot of cities bid and, and compete for, for a Super Bowl. I like it. <laughs> I like it, Mark. These ideas are fantastic. The president really should tune into our podcast occasionally when he has a few moments free from Air Force One, maybe. But this is Full, the, all of these ideas. Perfect. And I, I just, again, I can't wait to see what he does. Mark Lauder, former press secretary for Mike Pence and RNC spokesperson, always welcome on the show. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. You know, I have to say that um, the more you think about it, has, you've, you've had this situation, right? You're, you have some news and you get it back and you're like, I don't like this news. And um Ooh, our graphics are awesome. Did you see what my producer was able to do with that little graphic there? If you're listening on Terrestrial Radio, you're probably thinking, I don't see anything. I'm just listening. I'm talking about on the live stream. He made some special graphic there, which was pretty cool. Um, you, when you have something happen where it, initially you think to yourself, this is just the worst. Um, I can't believe that I have to now deal with this situation. And so you kind of put it on the back burner for a while and let your feelings calm down. And then you come back to it. And as you start to look at the problem and, and figure out, well, what can I do now I have to deal with this, then you start to see opportunities. You're like, well, I could do this or that. Or maybe sometimes I get so deep into the, the actual reaction to the word no or the, the, whatever the, the, situ the scenario is that I will be unable to come up with, with new you know, kind of fun ideas and I'll kind of be almost complaining about it. And one of the kids or my husband or a friend will say, well, Actually, this opens it up so that you can do X. And then I'll say, wait a minute, you're right. And that's when the juices start flowing. You're like, wait, I actually, she's right. I can do this, this, and this. And what if we did that? And before you know it, you're happy that you have this new development. So I encourage you, uh, listeners, let's continue to pray for the president and his family and his administration and all of those who are working in Washington. Let's do it when we sit down to our meals. And uh, when we get back, we'll be hearing from you. Love to talk to you today on the show, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. In my book, The Soul of a Team, SOUL is an acronym, and the L stands for Larger Purpose, meaning contributing to the wider community in a lasting and significant way. After joining the Minnesota Vikings as defensive coordinator in 1992, I began meeting every Monday morning with Tom Lamphere, the team's chaplain. At his suggestion, we began studying the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. My studies with Tom were so significant that when a replica of my locker was displayed at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it contained a Bible open to the book of Nehemiah just in front of my game ball from Super Bowl 41. It signifies the way God guides those who commit to following His own larger purpose. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. Yo, 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 what up, Seth? Yo, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Man, I'm good, bro. Just let the club, you know, <laughs> the usual. The club? Man, them clubs don't love back, man. You ain't learned yet. You better slow down, dude. Ah, come on, Seth. You remember those days. We used to turn up together, man. Used to. Used to, brother. I'm on something much different. Like what, though? I mean, that Jesus music you be rapping about or beatboxing or whatever you be doing. I'm saying, though, that's how I worship. God gave me rap, so I give it back. Why, though? Gospel rap is boring, man. Boring? There's nothing boring about the ransom that ransomed me with himself. Took me off the shelf to transform me into my best. Surrounding me with those of like minds, he drops bombs. Some of which is found on UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Donald Trump's America. For more than a century, Charlotte Pipe and Foundry in North Carolina led the industry. Meanwhile, in Shanghai, China, another company is accused by Charlotte Pipe of stealing their name and trademark. Here's Brad Muller of the original Charlotte Pipe Company. We see that uh, across a broad range of industries where they've stolen technology, they steal intellectual property, they counterfeit products. Uh, it's, it's rampant. It's not just theft. The Americans also accuse their state-subsidized Chinese competitor of dumping inferior products in world markets. The Commerce Department found Chinese pipe makers illegally undersold the U.S. market by up to 360 percent. While the Chinese contest the trademark case, the International Trade Commission ruled in the Americans' favor in the dumping case, allowing the U.S. to impose tariffs on Chinese pipes and fittings. And the U.S. campaign to level the playing field continues next week when trade talks head to Washington. William Washington Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We just instantly say that's what it is based on what we see in that moment and then have to walk stuff back when it turns out we're wrong. Why is that? Why is, do we keep making the same mistake? Because we're, we're desperate to get Trump out of office. <laughs> that's why. Not everybody, though. But what does that have to do? Oh, mm. I think that that's the reason. I think the press jumps the gun a lot because we just, we have so much circumstantial evidence against this guy that we basically are hoping that, you know, Cohen's got the goods and what have you. But, and so it's wishful thinking. Right, but let's talk about the kids in this particular <laughs> All right. confrontation but, since that's the, that's the question. Since that's the question. That's Whoopi Goldberg trying to steer the topic back to what they were originally discussing, which was they had to walk back their original comments about the Covington Catholic high school boys because it turns out they were not in the wrong. And I, I have to say, you know, I don't often give kudos to Whoopi Goldberg, but I, I give kudos to her for during that clip. That, and I didn't I didn't include that in what I, I asked to be cut for today. It's it's. She tried to, in her way, to really admit that it, was a, it wasn't just them. It wasn't just the view. It was a ton of different news and media outlets on the left and the right who just took a little bit of video and jumped into the fray and ginned up a mob. And she was trying to make the discussion about that 
when Joy Behar jumped in with her feverish, you know, she's she's suffering from what I would call a very active and contagious case of Trump derangement syndrome. And that's where, you know, every subject turns back to Donald Trump and how he's a criminal and he needs to be removed from office. And the only thing that cures that is viewing the president being removed from office, which would precipitate the immediate onslaught of secondary Trump derangement syndrome called President Mike Pence syndrome, then he would need to be removed from office because the only true cure to the sickness is to be in possession of a Democrat who's the president of the United States. And, and let's, let's be clear here. It's not that they want someone to be the president to make a great economy. They want someone to worship because they're not worshiping almighty God. So they're worshiping Barack Obama. And it's evidenced by the fact that every time I say his name on the air, I get emails galore from people who can't spell and probably uh, didn't graduate from high school. Um, and they're just the dumbest emails I've ever read. I mean, and I, I, I'm using the word dumb intentionally. It's not that the emails are unintelligent. It's that they are actually written by people who their brains don't fully function. They heard the word Obama they got triggered and then they just mix in a few curse words and shoot off an email without even looking to see how many red underlines there are before they send it off. Just, it's astounding. And I, I read them and I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to then shed a tear or think, you know, I got to rethink this whole thing about being on the right? No, I just wonder what school let you out with this type of typing? How did you get out of high school with this? Like, is this, and this, and is this how you also type at work and everywhere else that you are? Or am I helping to subsidize this typing because you're some kind of a, you know, public assistance recipient? That, that's what these emails read like. Um, so I said we were going to talk about Nancy Pelosi owning the shutdown. And you can call in if you want to talk about any topic that we've had thus far on the show today or anything else, 866-963-2037. Um, so how does she own the, the shutdown? Well, the president's toll numbers, poll numbers are still in the tank. But one of the things that the president has done in making an offer is that he made an offer that's a huge bargain. Legalization of one million dreamers, um, uh, you know, the ones who were brought here illegally by their parents. So they were too young to protest and immediate end of the shutdown and the funding of $5.7 billion for the wall, which isn't the total amount that's needed. Remember that. So it puts the onus on Nancy Pelosi. Now, Democrats have made immigration a highly politicized issue by tying it to people instead of tying it to the law. And they treat Hispanic voters the same way they used to treat black voters. They treat Hispanic voters like political hostages. They basically say we need your votes because without your votes, we're not going to be able to force these mean, evil Republicans to legalize your unlawfully immigrated brothers and sisters, even though a huge portion of the people who vote for the Democrats who are Hispanic came to this country legally. So what their affinity is for people who break the law and make them look bad. I had someone email me and say, you know, people might as well come here illegally because Hispanics are looked on so negatively by Americans. It doesn't matter if they're college educated and if they came here legally and if they're abiding in the law, everyone thinks they're illegal wetbacks. That's, that's what the person emailed to me. Now, I don't appreciate him using that, that racial slur in an email to me, 
But the quote that I'm giving you of what he said gives you a picture as to how much this issue has been politicized and demonized a certain group of people to the point that he would use that racial slur, he himself being Hispanic, at least he had a Hispanic last name, he would use that racial slur about other people in his, people from his ethnic background to demonstrate to me that there's no way he can be free. So it doesn't matter if he's here lawfully. So he says, it doesn't matter what we do, we're seen as being here unlawfully, so we might as well just be with everyone who's breaking the law because we're all seen as lawbreakers. It, doesn't that just break your heart that, that people would feel like, because of the way that they look, that there's no way they can be in the right? And so therefore, abiding by the law doesn't matter. That is thanks to the Democrats. The proliferation of the use of these kinds of racial slurs against people of different ethnic backgrounds in this country the proliferation of this kind of underclass and this feeling that some people will never really fully realize truly being Americans, that's all traced directly back to the identity politics of the Democrats and how they constantly beat into everybody that ascribes to their way of thinking, you're a victim. No one's ever going to see you as an American. I, I see these commentators, black commentators on TV at night saying, you know, I carry with me the burdens of my blackness and every situation I go into, I carry that burden. You know what? God says you can be free from every burden. It doesn't matter if it's an ethnic one or a racial one or, or anything. You can be free of every single burden. He's the chain breaker, the way maker. He can set you free. So instead of bowing down to the Democrats and the God of abortion and thinking that Obama is your Lord and Savior, how about going to the true source and giving your problems over to him so you don't have to carry huge baggage burdens of race and ethnicity and different things that have happened to you and carry them into every situation that you go into? There's an answer, but it's not over there. And I know that part of it has to do with when you're entrenched in something and all you're used to is hearing, you're a victim, you need the government to save you, you're a victim, you need the Democrats to save you, you don't just break out of that on your own. But you have to want to break out of it. You know, they actually train animals by tying them to a post. And the, at first, the animal, will you, they'll pull on the rope to get, to get free. And after a few weeks of pulling on the rope and they can't get free, they can put that animal tied to a rope on something as light as a feather. They can tie it to its tiny rock and the animal is now free. They're technically free because they could easily wrench themselves past that, but they won't because they've been conditioned to think that whatever the rope is attached to is stronger than they are. And that is the conditioning that the Democrats have been so effective in executing on a, on a huge portion of Americans. In fact, it, it, and it's the pretty people that do it. If you look at NBC, if you look at, you know, the, the different people they have sitting there talking to Americans about news, shaping thought and opinion, telling people what to think, they sound like they know exactly what they're talking about. But when they start talking the subject of race or the subject of political enemies resisting and all of that, then they're in the victimization lane and they're literally tying that rope around your neck and just hanging it off of a little hook. And you think you can't get free because you think the rope is tied to a big pole that's immovable, that's embedded in the ground 12 feet and some, you know, concrete. In reality, it's just on a hook. And if you just move ever so slightly, you're free. That's the trick. That's the trick. 
Let's go to the phones. Daniel, thank you so much for calling the show today. Uh, yes. Hello, Stacy. Thank you. I appreciate the good work you're doing. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, I'm a former resident of upstate New York. I've been in Kansas 35, 36 years. But anyway, um, so I'm a Catholic and uh, on the New York State legislators, uh, you know, making law now in New York State guaranteeing abortion, as you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just comment on the uh, Catholic Church has what's called uh, late sententiae. It's a Latin term, and I don't know how it translates this, but it's an automatic excommunication to any Catholic who has an abortion or procures or aids someone in getting an abortion. So the point is, our gov- the governor of New York State is uh, Catholic, uh, mm. Cuomo, and uh, yeah. so... So uh, what should happen in a good, solid Catholic, uh, healthy Catholic diocese, the diocese, uh, Albany Diocese, where the state house is in upstate New York, or the bishop of that diocese, or Cardinal Timothy Dolan in New York, because he's kind of like the primate of the United States, because that's a very important, um, you know, St. Patrick's Cathedral there in New York, New York City. Either one of those should go publicly and um, refusing Cuomo Holy Communion in church because he's, he's, he's done this terrible thing. And, uh, and if they did that, if the bishop of the Diocese of Albany or Cardinal Dolan had the guts and the uh, fortitude to do his job as uh, protector of the flock, you know, we could roll back. We could roll back abortion, you know. Uh, we got all this tremendous potential power in our Catholic Church, and most of our bishops, not all of them, but I would say 90%, really, seriously, about 90% don't have any backbone, any guts. And so that's one of the reasons why we've got this this terrible scourge on our land, you know. Mm. I, so, I, uh, anyway. I agree with you. I looked it up, and it's uh, lete sententiae, which is the Latin phrase meaning sentence passed and it's used in the canon law of the Catholic Church. I agree with you that there are things that the Catholic Church could be doing, but we've seen in the Bible over and over and over again where um, whenever a group of leaders or a leader falls into sexual sin, it reduces the amount of power that they have over the people. And so for the Catholic Church, because of the child sex abuse scandal that has been covered up and allowed to proliferate, the authority of the Catholic Church has been severely damaged by that, that, that happening and not being resolved. And so what has to happen is the Pope has to actually allow the proper prosecution of individuals who have abused children in the Catholic Church. And then the, they have to be prosecuted criminally and they have to be excommunicated and there has to be a process by which these people can be punished. And then later they can repent and come, you know, obviously there is repentance that can be had for the individuals who've done this, but they have to first be brought to justice. As long as that scandal stands as an unresolved issue, you're going to see the like, the, the, the type of, you know, lack of fortitude or, or cowardice in fighting back against the scourge of abortion and other major issues. Um, I want to share just a little bit more. I looked this up and obviously I'm on Wikipedia, but this uh, you know, it has links. It looks like it's pretty accurate. And the caller was mentioning Leite Sinchenche. It's a penalty that binds a guilty party only after it has been imposed on the person 
That would be known as ferende sententiae, meaning sentence to be passed. But the Code of Canon Law, which binds Catholics of the Latin Church, inflicts censures for certain forbidden actions. The Canon Law that binds members of the Eastern Catholic Churches does not include these penalties. So basically, he's saying it's like an, an instant excommunication that would then be followed on by not being able to receive communion. I think it's worth noting that Nancy Pelosi, due to her support for abortion, is actually not allowed to receive communion in um, you know, a, her home uh, Catholic diocese. But it doesn't prevent her from saying she's a good Christian and a Catholic because she says that anyway, because she doesn't care. So um, I, again, I, I'm not... I'm not, this is me saying something horrible about the, the people who practice Catholicism who aren't a part of the scandal, but I am saying that we've seen this over and over and over again, and the Bible warns about it. When we engage in sexual sin, it weakens the authority of the leadership, and it makes it so that not only does that leader lack the courage to you know, step out boldly in faith, but they also lack the authority in the view of the people that they're placed in authority over. It just reduces the amount of power that a person has and it eliminates some of the wisdom that they have. If you read about it in the Bible, it's very, very clear. Um, sins against the temple of the Holy Spirit are very damaging, especially to those who are in leadership. So we just have to be careful. Um, and and I, my hope and prayer is that the Catholic Church will take care of this problem. I cannot believe that's the end of the show. I have so much more for you. Um, the biggest gun rights case since 2010, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear it. If you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland. Thank you for being at home at American Family Radio. And if you're sticking around, you have news and information from onenewsnow.com. And I'll be back right after this. 